Good morning. Wow, here we are. If we had any doubt that summer was fast in the rearview mirror, last night, finish that off, I tell you what. There was rain and thunder and lightning and all kinds of stuff. Uh, but I was sleeping through most of it. I just saw the vestiges of it this morning. Well, welcome. Great to have you this morning in church. Uh, we're going to continue on this morning in our series in pray and, and being people of prayer. Uh, so we're... Um, this week, as Liza said, having this time of prayer and fasting because we actually believe that we need God, we need the power of Jesus who is alive. He's not just somebody who was uh, crucified, but who died, buried, and rose again so that we can have new life. And so part of what prayer does is it helps us to access the power that is available to us. So you can, uh, last week we started uh, and, and it's now available on uh, online and I think he's going to throw up the slide for me this morning. Watch this. One, two, three, and there we go. I don't know what you were waiting for, Jordan, but everybody look and wave at Jordan. Just, hey, Jordan, how are you? Uh, we always tell the people at the back usually are there for a reason because they hate being at the front. And so when you turn and say, look at them, they all uh, are going to kill me later. So if I don't appear next week, you know what happened. But how, how many of you have ever thought or saw something that you thought was impossible? Uh, a number of uh, year, or, uh, just recently there was a, a Reddit which is something on the internet. If you don't know what it is, I'm not going to explain it, but it's a thing. And there was a group that put together a list of things that would, were 50 years ago uh, either impossible or so implausible as to be impossible. The first would be, if they looked at today and they saw this, they'd say, calling someone's phone to ask where they are. That would be, they're at home. Where, where, where is their phone, right? Or... If they looked at our day today, that if you told them this would be happening, they'd say it's impossible. Walking around with no real money and buying things with your phone, with your watch, they'd be like, no, no, that's not going to happen. That's Dick Tracy, the cartoons. Or locking yourself in a room, I know some of you love this, and trying to escape for fun. In fact, paying somebody to do that. That's called, no, I won't say what that's called, stealing music and movies seemingly right out of the air, and they come to your device. 50 years ago, they would have called that witchcraft. <laughs> Buying distressed or ripped clothing. <laughs> you mean people are paying extra money to look like they have no money. I can probably almost guarantee you today, there's always somebody that comes up to me, Pastor, what are you doing wearing those jeans? I, do you need a raise? I'm like, I'll take the raise, but if you think it's going to stop me wearing the pants, probably not. <laughs> or how about this one, smoking outside the restaurant? There was a day they would be like, what? I was on the tail end of this. I remember being on, I think it was a TWA flight way back, and there was smoking at the back of the plane. And they would think, what? What's, what's wrong with that? Do you want me to go out on the wing? Like, what's happening? <laughs> If you're asking, yes. <laughs> or how about this one? Putting water in bottles and selling it. <laughs> That'll never happen. That's impossible. What a dumb idea. Yeah. Or taking pictures of your food. <laughs> They'd be like, what a waste of film. <laughs> or the use of emojis instead of words. 
You mean sending little images of smiley faces, piles of smiling poop, and everything in between for growing adults. No, that's not going to happen. That's impossible. Yet here we are. And most of us have been in one or two of the things that we just talked about. Now, there are things that were once thought impossible that became possible. There are things that are impossible in our lives, that even in my life right now. Um, I don't know what happens, but you reach a certain age, if at least I have reached the age, where the hair grows better out of my nose and out of the top and inside my ears than on top. Somebody needs to send an email from my ear hair up to the top hair to say, here's how you grow hair, because it can grow like the dickens out of my ears now. <laughs> I used to laugh at old men. Now I'm like one of them. And I've seen some of you too. Yesterday when I went, it was a new low for me. The, I went and got my hair cut yesterday and everything all trimmed. And the guy says, uh, do you want me to trim your eyebrows? I was, Yes. Does it cost extra? No, it doesn't. Okay. It'll come. You can laugh now. You know, college students, ah, it's going to be you one day. It is. That's impossible. In fact, it was my hair issue bothered me, but there was really bothered me when one kid saw me and said, your hair, just out of the blue, your hair kind of looks like a monk. I know I'm not going to name him again because... They'll say things. It's impossible. Although it, I keep getting these ads and people who, I, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I know many of you are. Uh, but does your device listen? Does Alexa listen in your house? Uh, does, your, uh, does Siri listen? Siri listens, but she never knows what you're saying anyway, so I'm not worried. <laughs> but sometimes I wonder because I've mused about certain things and then suddenly I'm getting ads about hair replacement in Turkey. A special deal that you can only spend this much. But most of the time, it looks like uh, those dolls that I played with when I was a kid, all a neat little rose and hair coming out from there. So it is possible to fix the top of my hair, but I'm not going to do it. At least I don't think so yet. My wife tells me, Craig, you've got to keep whatever you've got as long as you can because you have an ugly head. <laughs> it's true. That's what she said. Like, that's rough. <laughs> But thank God she sees more. I don't know what, but she sees more. 27 years, somehow she's held on through all my ugly head years. It's a tough road to hoe, hon, but all of us have seen things or felt things that seemed impossible and that are much more important than whether you smoke inside a restaurant or not or more important than whether I have enough hair or anything like that or whether they'll ever come back, but seem impossible. Situations that we might face, financial issues, family issues, relational issues, health issues, inner struggles that nobody sees but we're all dealing with. Work issues, impossible. And Jesus had 12 followers and they were called the disciples and in some places called the apostles, 12 of them. Uh, and they had come to a situation that we're going to look at this morning, but they were a bit of a ragtag group of people. They weren't picked from the, the cream of the crop of society. They weren't picked from the highlight reel. They were very much blue-collar people, uh, fishermen, tax collectors, uh, people from all uh, very low walks of life, so to speak, on, in terms of their socioeconomic status. 
They're trying their best, but we see through the, through the scriptures that these guys were uh, sometimes cussing at each other, sometimes comparing and fighting over who was the greatest, who, who had the, the, the best looking, who was the most important, all those kind of things, and out, prone to outbursts of anger and ordering each other around, insecurity, and all, all these kind of things. And, and actually, when I see the disciples of Jesus, it kind of gives me hope because uh, it helps me to understand that even people with issues, they got some hang-ups, they got some things going on in their life, can still be used by God, right? So look to the person beside you. There's hope for you. Come on, there's hope for you. Because Jesus takes us where we are, and he takes us on a journey of transformation. That's what Jesus does. And anyway, the story we're about to look at was about nine of the disciples who were facing something that seemed impossible for them. But they're trying. They're trying to do what they've always done, and nothing seems to be working. They had spent lots of time with Jesus where they had seen incredible things happen. They had seen miracles happen. They had seen uh, blind eyes open. They had seen people heal. They had seen uh, food be multiplied. All kinds of things happen. And yet here they were at this moment, even though they had seen great success up to that moment in so many areas, they were seeing the impossible right in front of them. And we pick up the story where one of the disciples, Matthews, tells us, Matthew was a disciple that was despised by his family and and his neighbors and everybody around because he had the wrong job. He was a tax collector. And now some of you might say, well, it's obvious why everybody hated him. He's a tax collector. But it was even to another level back there. Nobody has ever liked paying taxes. But when you were paying taxes as an occupied people to Rome at that time, you were particularly despised because you were looked upon as a collaborator. But this despised one had an encounter with Jesus, and he began to follow Jesus, and his life was turned around. Again, you have to look at these people as people, not just as words written in a book, but people who Jesus, the living Savior, transformed and moved them on in a new journey. So there's hope for you. There's hope for me. But here's Matthew, and he's telling an eyewitness account of this impossible moment with nine of the disciples. In chapter 17 of the book named after him, he describes this scene where despite their best efforts, they weren't making any headway. Anybody ever been there before? There's lots of interesting details in the story, but we're going to go to an essential part for what we're talking about this morning. They were struggling with what something that was, or sorry, someone was brought to them that was struggling with something seemingly impossible, insurmountable, unmovable. And they were coming to the disciples because they had the reputation and, in fact, the track record of being able to help people through the power of the name of Jesus. But in this moment, they couldn't do anything. In this case, a boy that was suffering with seizures. And they brought him to the disciples. They're praying for him and doing all the things that had worked up to that moment, that had worked along the way, and nothing changed. Impossible. And they had seen all kinds of incredible things, but this day, impossible. Even disciples walking with Jesus and close to Jesus had impossible moments. Gives me great hope. That no matter where I feel I am in a journey, no matter whether I feel close to Jesus or far away from Jesus, that when I'm with Jesus, an impossible moment is not the end of the road. The impossible doesn't mean it's not possible. It just means I might not see it the way that he does. Jesus had gone away on some Jesus business, him and three of the disciples, and they were gone away. 
And they came back right in this moment where they were trying to do something in an impossible situation where nothing was changing. And the, the man who of the boy came and said, Jesus, can you help me? Is there anything that you can do? And the long of the short of it is that Jesus sees the impossible situation and simply says a word and says to the spirit that was bothering that young man, come out of him and he comes out and he's free. Where's your faith? Jesus touches him, the spirit's gone and he's healed. What couldn't change suddenly changed. What was impossible became possible. What was unchangeable became changeable in one moment. But what if you were the disciples in that moment? We were just doing our best in that moment. We were trying our hardest. We were praying all the prayers. We were doing all the stuff and nothing was changing. And suddenly Jesus comes on the scene and the impossible shifts in that moment. What would you be asking? What's the question that you might be asking? It's kind of like, imagine if you had this great experience at a restaurant where the, the, the server came and was so kind and so generous and so, so wonderful to you, treated you so well, was anticipating your needs before they were there, well-groomed, smiling in every way. It was this incredible experience. And as you go to pay for your bill, you mentioned to them, hey, I just really want to thank you for how, uh, in, how incredibly you served tonight. It just really made our meal that much better tonight. I really, really appreciate it. And imagine if they said, well, thank you because I appreciate that. Because 18 months ago, I was homeless and living in my car and I was giving up on life and didn't say anything else. What would your question be? What happened? What happened? You don't just leave me hanging there. And that's what the disciples came and they, they got away from the scene a little while later after everybody was gone and they said, Jesus, what happened there? The impossible became possible. The unchangeable became changeable. The unmovable became movable. What happened? What happened? Because all of us have those moments in our life right now. And that's like the disciples in this moment. And Jesus answers them in chapter 17 of Matthew, and where Matthew tells us that Jesus said, he told them, it was because of your lack of faith. If you have faith inside of you, no bigger than the size of a small mustard seed, that seed is literally so, so tiny, like a maybe compared to a carrot seed, it's almost hard to see in your hand. And he said, if you have that size of a faith, you can say to this mountain, move away from here and go over there and you will see it move. There is nothing you couldn't do. Everybody say nothing. 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 Sometimes hard work is not enough. Sometimes what you've always done is not enough. Sometimes what got you here won't get you there. Sometimes what you've been unable to change won't change. Sometimes nothing that you've ever faced before and suddenly you're faced with it in that moment. And we all have those mountains because it's not meaning a literal mountain in that moment. It's talking about an insurmountable problem that's in front of you. Some of us have insurmountable problems in front of us. Our city has insurmountable problems in front of us. In homelessness, in gangs, in broken homes, in beating of wives, in all kinds of things that are going on. Seemingly insurmountable, impossible problems. We all have impossible, seemingly impossible issues going on in our life. Some of us are struggling with anxiety that literally directs the day-to-day -day decisions that we make. 
Some of us are struggling under mountains of debt that cripple the life out of us, steal our joy and our hope. Some of us are facing mountains of friends and family that are far from God, and we say, God, will there ever be a turn? And we've given up and said it's impossible. Some of us are facing mountains of sickness and ongoing pain that does not seem to shift, and we're something in us that says it's impossible. Students with mountains of fear and anxiety that causing them to withdraw and going into safe spaces, and it's not something to be mocked. It's something to say there's people who feel it's impossible. Mountains of hatred and division and tension in our culture that should cause us to be concerned that seem to be impossible and unable to be moved and in fact only enlarging. And then Jesus comes along in the middle of it all and gives us an impossible mandate where he says to love your neighbor as yourself and then he takes it further and says love your enemy and and pray for those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Impossible mandate that he gives us. And we're facing mountains in our lives. We're facing mountains in our families. We're facing mountains in our city. We're facing mountains, but we can choose to engage those mountains or we can withdraw and say, the mountain can have the way. I'm going to stop moving forward in my life. God cannot move in that situation. It's too much. But like Jesus said, nothing shall be impossible for you. But the message of the New Testament is this. It's that God, through the person of Jesus Christ, still changes lives. That Jesus still transforms families. That Jesus still transforms homes. That Jesus still can take a husband that's in a place of just absolute devastation and turn him around. That Jesus can still transform and heal addiction. That Jesus can still restore people that feel hopeless and in despair. That Jesus is still alive and moving in the world. But we're not facing situations that are small. We're facing situations that are mountains. But there's more for you on the other side of the mountain. And Jesus confirms that the impossible can become possible, that the unchangeable can become changeable, that the door that's been shut to you can open to you, that the thing that has seemed to stop you can uh, move from in front of you. There is nothing you couldn't do. But how? Let's recap what Jesus said. And when they said, what happened? And here's the, the issue Jesus said, you have little faith. You have little faith. Well, what then? So what? But he says, if you have just a little faith, you can move. And this is my addition to it. You can move big mountains. If you have just little faith, you can move big mountains. You can come against come against a new situation and have no idea how to move forward and nothing's changing. You can be facing old issues and struggles and things that are hurting you and things that seem to have uh, crippled your moving forward. You can be boxed in and saying, this is the sum total of my life. I'm going to be happy and ride this job out to retirement and that's it. But if you have just a little faith, you can move big mountains. You might be facing a situation that is overwhelming you at times, but with just a little faith, you can move big mountains. One of the most noted followers of Jesus was uh, a man by the name of Paul. And Paul was a man who hated Christians. Uh, if, you lie, if you're one of those today, well, read a lot about Paul. Because Paul hated them. He hunted them down and threw them into jail, but he had an encounter with the risen Jesus, and his life was turned and changed and moved. 
And Paul writes in one of the books he wrote to a church in Rome, he said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I want you to understand this morning that you don't have to work faith up. It's not saying the right mantra of, or prayer in the right order. It's not blab it and grab it, name it and claim it. It's this, it's this, it's this, that Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes from God. It's not just positive thinking. Positive thinking can be an outcome of faith, but it is not faith in itself. Faith is simply trusting what God tells you rather than only trusting what your senses tell you. You get a new perspective when you begin to hear what God's saying about your mountain than instead of what your mountain is saying to you. Then you begin to hear from God and say, I'm going to look at my situation a little differently, not just uh, what I see, what I feel, what I'm sensing, what I'm touching, but that with God, all things are possible and nothing will be impossible for me. Faith is trusting what God tells you rather than only trusting what your senses tell you. A number of years ago, uh, Shanda and I ran a school, a discipleship uh, school for uh, kids coming out of high school, anywhere from 18 to 25 years old. And one of the things that we did at the beginning of every year, we were on Vancouver Island. Um, at the beginning of every year, we'd go out, we'd go surfing. It was fun on the West Coast. If you've never been to the West Coast, it's absolutely fantastic. And so we would go to Tofino and we're surfing all day. And one night we did that. And then we got all in the van and, and uh, with a couple of our leaders and all the students. And we drove to this uh, park and all the students, the first year students got out and we we, I said, we're going to blindfold you now. And it's very important that you listen so that you don't get hurt and that you get where you need to go. You need to listen very, very well. So we blindfolded them all. And all we did is said, we need you to listen to our voice and follow me. Follow my voice. And I said, don't follow any other voice. Follow my voice. I call them. Okay, turn here. Step there. And they're holding on and they're moving forward. But if they stop listening or listen to the voice of the person behind them that's also blindfolded, they would end up in a rock. And sometimes that's what we do. We listen to every other voice that doesn't know the way to go. And we get in trouble. Or we listen to the other voice that says, hey, I'm too scared. Just stop moving. And we don't move. But when we begin to hear the voice of God, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God to us, then we begin to get a different perspective on our situation. And suddenly what was impossible becomes possible. There was a story of a, how one day a young lumberjack challenged an older lumberjack to a contest. Both wanted to see which man could cut down the most trees with their axe by the end of the day. By sundown, it was obvious that the older lumberjack had one hands down. The young fellow was super frustrated. He couldn't figure it out. He had chopped nonstop all day while the older gentleman had stopped every hour. When asked how he felt that he had won the contest, the older man explained, every time I sat down, I sharpened my axe. We can't cut trees down with dull axes and we'll never be or see what God's called us to be or see if we keep using 
dull axis if our spirit is not sharpened by coming to God and being empowered by him. But we're so, so busy and we're dull in our spirit and we're dull in our perspective and our faith has become waned, uh, has waned away and our, our perspective is on the mountain and not on God. But we're so busy, we're sidetracked by so many things, we're disappointed, uh, we're neglecting things, we're apathetic in so many ways and we're saying, God, move and, and, and God's saying, sharpen your axe and take these moments and, and come aside with me and allow me to sharpen you and allow me to give you a new perspective and allow me to take the doubt and the fear and the anxiety and the mountain that's in front of you and reshape you and give you a new perspective and move you into what I've called you to do. In Romans 8 and 11, it says, if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, it will quicken your dead things. The areas of your life that seem impossible, the things that seem unchangeable, the things that seem unmovable, the spirit of Jesus moving can change things and take you into a new place. But if you just have a little faith, you can move big mountains. What got you here won't get you there. Old ways will not open new doors. You need a new path that you don't currently see. You need a breakthrough that you don't currently have. You need more power than you currently have. But if faith is so important that only a little bit of it hits impossible situations like kryptonite hits Superman, then how do we get it? How do we get it? Matthew 17 and 21. But this kind of powerful spirit is cast out only through prayer and fasting. This is Jesus. You need more faith, and here's how you get it. Jesus tells us the way you can build little faith that moves big mountains is fasting and prayer. Now, fasting is an ancient practice about giving up something natural, most often food, for a certain period of time in order that it can be spent on something spiritual like prayer. Fasting food for a few days, eating only veggies maybe, skipping meals, skipping entertainment, skipping social media so that you can feast on the spiritual, that you can build faith to move mountains. I can imagine what some of you are thinking right now because this is not a popular topic in any way to say, to take, come aside, to engage spiritually. Craig, seriously, fasting and prayer, what's next? Are we going to have a drum with a fire and people in loincloths dancing around? Kumbaya, ya, ya. Is that what's next? Seriously. It's not, just so you know. It's simply this. If you are, there's this thing called the couch to 5K, which is if you're right now just a couch potato, I'm not going to point out any fingers, but I have some suspicions. Uh, <laughs> if you're a couch potato and you want to get to running a 5K, there's a training process to get there. Now, you could say that the training process is evil, it's unjust, it's why should I have to do that? But if you want the 5K, you have to go through a process. And this is what Jesus is saying. He said, you're facing an impossible situation, your 5K, but whatever your impossible situation is, and I'm giving you a process to access the power that you need to get what, you, what, what is needed to get through to the other side of that mountain. And the process is fasting and prayer. Now, say, how do you know? Well, someone told me this week, and, I, and I'm going to say this regularly, I don't know a lot of things. I know some things, but I do know this, this, that if a man who predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection, and then did it, says fasting's important, I'm going to go with what he says. I'm going to go with what he says. Yeah, but what about, you know, I'm going to go with what Jesus said. And Jesus said it's important, and so I'm going to go with that. 
I don't know it all, but I know that if Jesus says fasting and prayer is crucial to build the faith to see impossible mountains move in my life, I'm going to go with what he said. But let me, just a couple things. I have to always say these kind of things because people go off into la-la land with certain situations. Take them to extremes. Here's what I'm not saying. We're not saying that every issue that you deal with will be solved simply if you pray more. Okay? I'm not. We actually believe that we're incredibly complex tripart beings, body, soul, and spirit, that we must pay attention to our physical health, we must pay attention to our mental health, and we must pay attention to our emotional health. However, I'm also saying that in our, very often in our Western culture, we neglect the spiritual. What Jesus says is actually a crucial part of seeing every other area of your life correctly. But if you just have a little faith, you can move mountains. Secondly, here's what I'm not, also not saying. I'm not saying that when something bad happens and while you're fasting in prayer, that it's because you didn't have enough faith. I, I am saying that it's not about impressing God to do what he hasn't willed to do. It's not about twisting God's arm to get what we want or what we think should happen. In every situation, as we fast in prayer, we are submitted to God and his will. And fasting in prayer can help me to set me free. The other thing in that is that the mountain that you think in front of you might not actually be the mountain that God wants to deal with. You might think the mountain is anxiety, but God knows it's trauma that you need to get in front of a counselor with and unpack. You might think that the mountain is your spouse, but maybe God knows it's your unresolved bitterness. You might think your mountain that's in the way of what God has for you is the boss in the job that seems terrible to you. But God might know that he's actually placed you there to win that boss to him. Sometimes our perspective on our mountain needs to shift. And we're asking God to move. Oh, God, move that mountain. Oh, God, do this. God, do this. And God's like, no. So sometimes be open to that. But now, what's happening in prayer and fasting? James, who was the brother of Jesus, tells us about humility and how God gives power to the humble and he blocks the proud. And then he goes on to describe what it looks like in James 4 and 7. This is a letter that he wrote to the churches. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Uh, Caleb and Daniel, can you come help me for a moment, please? Daniel, if you you can go on that side. Actually, let's just switch that around. Daniel, you go on this side. Actually, no, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's just fun. Wah, wah. Go. So, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So, on this side, we will say, you're not actually the devil, but you're going to represent the devil. On this side, you're going to represent God. It's the hair. <laughs> so, so James is saying, flip to the next side. What's fasting about? First of all, it's, I might be, it says repentance. I'm here and I'm facing this insurmountable mountain. I'm in a situation where I'm under anxiety, when I'm under frustration, things are going wrong in my life, where I know I'm not close to God, where I'm dealing with lust, I'm dealing with pornography, I'm dealing with gossip or whatever, your mountain that you're dealing with. And in that moment, I'm saying, oh God, what can I do? Here's what I do. As long as I'm close to him, he has access to irritate me, to, to bother me, to harass me, to do. And he actually does this in the office a lot. <laughs> it's true. It's true. 
Then he wonders why his truck gets pranked. But hey, we, that's another story. Okay, so you play this role way too well, bro. So here we are. As long as I'm cl uh, close to him, I'm in his sphere of influence. He can bother, harass, trick, and, and do all kinds of things to me. But I realize the mountain, I, want, I don't want this mountain in my life anymore. So James says, submit to God. I repent and I turn towards God. That's the very, very first step, what fasting is about. It's saying, God, I got to get on your agenda. God, I can't continue to be in this space that I'm in because it's bringing all kinds of stuff in my life. And as, I, and as, as soon as I turn towards God, what is happening is I am resisting the enemy and his access into my life. It's not something I have to fight. I'm just beginning to take a step towards God. And I keep taking a step towards God. Every step towards God is resistance towards the enemy. Some of us are all, I'm going to fight the devil and I'm going to stop him and he's not going to do this and he's going to stay away from there. We're doing all that and the devil's like, ha ha, you're not going anywhere. But we just simply repent and turn towards God and begin to walk with some resistance because here's the goal of it all is that there'll be a reconnection with God because when I'm in this sphere, guess what happens? God begins to move what is unmovable. The unchangeable begins to be changeable. The thing that could not be open begins to be open and more than all of that, I get close to the God who loves me and when I'm in that place, anything is possible because there becomes a new confidence in me. There becomes a new boldness in me. There comes a new hope for my life because God is for me. He's right beside me. I'm not reading about him. I'm not thinking about him. I am with him and he is with me. That's what power of fasting and prayer can do for you. Thanks guys. Appreciate that. If you have just a little faith, you can move big mountains. Spiritual fasting is a means by which we humble ourselves before God. We come to God his way, his terms, and respond accordingly to his agenda and see what he will do. I must get closer to Jesus. I don't need to fight harder. I simply must repent, resist the devil, and reconnect with Jesus. Every one of us in the room at some level needs a better connection with Jesus. Because we believe that Jesus is not a figure in a history book, but he's one who can alter your history because he's alive, he's real, he's present. God bless you. It's all right. Don't worry. It's okay. At its basic level, fasting humbles ourselves before God. God, we need you more than we need this meal. I need you. I need you more than I need this entertainment this week. I need you more than I need Facebook. I need you more than I need Instagram. I need you more than somebody needs to see another picture of my food go up. I need you more. I need this mountain removed. I need this sin issue broken. I need this character defect healed. I need you. I cannot be who you've called me to be. I cannot do what you've called me to do. The, the waves are crashing up against me. I feel the ground shaking beneath me. I feel the fire around me. I need you. I need this mountain removed in front of me. I need you to help me through it because there's more for you on the other side of the mountain. There's more for us as a church on the other side of the mountain. There's more for our city on the other side of the mountain. There's more for families right now that are struggling and wondering what's the way forward. There's more for them. And as the church is the church moving in the way that God's called it to be, as you are being who God's called you to be, God will use you to bring uh, life and bring hope into places where there is none. I must get closer to Jesus because I'm hungry 
I'm hungry to see more addicts healed. I'm hungry to see more families restored. I'm hungry to see more people walking in their God-given potential. I'm hungry to see people going into the, uh, the entertainment world and making a difference for Jesus. I'm hungry for people going into the educational world and bringing transformation. I'm hungry for people that will go into every area and sphere of influence and not be on the back foot but go on the front foot and say, I'm here as an ambassador of the Most High. I'm here to bring the kingdom of heaven in. I'm here to bring more peace. I'm here to bring more love. I'm here to bring more joy. I'm here to bring more hope. And I'm here with the power of heaven. You don't have to say it like that. You people will be like, what's going on? But you simply come in as an ambassador and you carry the presence of heaven into places that desperately need it. That's what the power of fasting and prayer. I must get closer to Jesus. In fasting, Jesus was tapping into an ancient practice that went way back. Back to old prophets thousands of years before him or hundreds. There was a one prophet called Isaiah, and he was sharing some things about fasting, and, and you can find them in the book of Isaiah in chapter 58. There's 22 promises, but I'm not going to go into all of them. Simply, I want to look at seven that are important for us this week. Promises attached to fasting and faith. And you, I'm, I'm not even going to go there. You can look them up yourself on Isaiah chapter 58, and it talks about them. But here's some of the promises that I'm believing God for this week in our church, in our homes, in our families, that in, in our city and in our nation. The first one is there's a promise of freedom. He says he will loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. We're freedom from the bondage of what others think about us, freedom from what is perceived about us, freedom from the injustice that continue to haunt and mock us in the night hour, freedom that still holds us from the things that still hold us. We are all too much like the deacon who week after week would pray fervently, Oh, Lord, in your mercy, I beg you to clean the spider webs out of my life out of my heart. And there was a fellow deacon after hearing his prayer for many months in desperation finally prayed a fervent prayer of his own. Oh Lord, in your mercy, kill the spider. <laughs> Sometimes we're fighting all kinds of things on the peripheral when fasting and prayer can bring you true freedom. It also breaks oppression. It's to set the oppressed free. Some studies have shown that 95% of us feel oppressed in one area or another to varying levels. But God will break the areas of our life. Oppression, uh, one of the early church fathers by the name of Jerome said it was like poverty. Poverty in every area. So not just poverty of finances, but poverty where you don't ever have enough. And, and that's kind of what oppression is, is that operating in a deficit, continually feeling overwhelmed, always struggling to get by, whether emotionally, mentally, financially, whatever. We've done our best, but somehow it never feels good enough for other people, and we become the bullseye for mounting fears, uh, anxieties, and hostility. But God can break the yoke of oppression. Not only that, he teaches us how to share Instead of caring for the needy, instead of being generous, too often we pile up for ourselves and want more for ourselves. Our agenda, our ways, that's the world. But fasting and prayer forces us to say this. Is there not something more to life than getting more stuff and living for self? And fasting and prayer also causes your light to shine like the noonday sun. God takes our dim, half-lit candle of tentative faith and increases its candle power. And as we fast in prayer, that the glow of being closer to God begins to shine out through us. And suddenly we actually begin to be a little bit kinder because we got closer to the source. And we begin to be a little bit more loving because we got closer to the source. And people around us begin to see that the light of Jesus is real because they see it in you. 
That's what fasting and prayer does. It also brings healing. It brings healing for your body, soul, and spirit. We need God to heal us from defensiveness and codependence. We need God to heal us from ungodly action. We, are, we need God to heal us from believing that we are enough. We need God to heal our bodies. We need God to heal us in our emotions. We need God to heal us in every area, and we need what only God can do. We also, fasting and prayer brings the protection of the Father. It doesn't mean you're not protected before, but in this context, understand this. When you begin to take steps to leave sinful habits behind. When you step out in courage, you are taking what backs, uh, back what belongs to you. We are beginning to step into what God has for you. Expect that you will experience greater spiritual warfare. But know this, with confidence that God's watching over you. It says that your righteousness goes before you and the glory of the Lord is your rear guard. God is going in front of you. He's going behind you. He's going to protect you from the arrow that flies by night. He's going to protect you from the unforeseen attack. He's going to watch over you in a way that is absolutely going to uh, surprise you. So when you begin to take back new ground and something comes against you, don't hold back. Lean in. Lean in. Your Father is protecting you. And finally, answer prayer. You shall call out to the Lord, it says, and he will answer. You will call and he will say, here I am. In fasting and prayer, God begins to do things we have never seen possible before. He moves us to another level in our relationship with him. It sensitizes us to the bruising, almost debilitating, impossible needs of others around us, our, our own and the world around us. And we'll find ourselves quietly beginning praying for people in situations with the knowledge that our prayers will be heard and that God will answer them. Most of us pray, but someone challenged me with this thought recently. If God answered all your prayers, would anyone beside your family and friend be better off if they were answered? That God would cause us to raise the bar to begin to pray for our city, to begin to pray for our, our neighbors. to be, and That's why we're going into neighborhoods. It's not because we don't have room here. It's because we're asking God to give us a heart for our city, for our neighbors, for our neighborhood, for the people around us that are in impossible situations that need Jesus. I invite you to stand real quick. and those, If you're getting baptized, now would be a great time to head for that. If you have just a little faith, you can move big mountains. Now, faith is not worked up like we said. It's simply seeing things from God's perspective rather than just what our senses say. I always believe in responding to the Word of God. We're going to have baptism in a few moments, but I want to close out our service and then we'll go from there. If you have just a little faith, you can move big mountains. For most of us in the room, the first step of faith we took is to become a follower of Jesus Christ, which simply means that I repent of my sin and Jesus, who died, buried, and rose again, pays the penalty for my sin so that I can be reconciled to God. I don't have to have a big, long list of do's and don'ts and things so that God, I can be acceptable to God. Jesus makes me acceptable. Fasting and prayer is not so that I can be acceptable to God. Jesus has already made me acceptable. But if you're here and you know that you are not right with God, you've thought maybe it's going to be on doing this or doing that or doing the other thing, let me just tell you how easy it is to become a follower of Jesus who can literally change your life. The first step is the hardest. 
And after that, Jesus begins to walk you on a journey out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Bible says that when we give our lives to Jesus, it's like we're translated from darkness into light. We pass from death to life. And some of in the room, some of you, the first place of faith that is that I want to quit running my life and surrender to Jesus. I want to quit running and I want to go home. You were created to be with God. You were created to be with Jesus. And I want to repent of my sin and turn from God. And I, I know I don't have all the answers, but I want the resurrection power of Jesus to bring life to dead things. I need a new start. I need Jesus. I don't know how. I don't have all the answers. All, I have more questions than answers, but I, I'm willing to take the first step. We're going to hear more about that with other people this morning. But can, you, can I just ask you to bow your head and close your eyes? For It's nothing spooky about it. We're nothing other than to give privacy to the people around us. But in the room, there are almost assuredly people who know that they're not right with God and need to surrender their life to Jesus and say, I, 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 I want that fresh start, Pastor. I want my life to pass from death to life. I want to know that I can be made right with God, and I want to do that today. I want to repent of where I'm at and step into all that God has for me. If that's you in the room, or I'm going to ask you in a moment to raise your hand. Not for, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to pray with you and tell you some next steps that you can take. But uh, rest assured that we're not going to point you out or anything like that. But if that's you and you're in the room and you know that you need to make Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life, just throw your hand up real quick. Yeah. I want to pray with you. Yes. Thank you. Right down the middle, down my right, your left. Yeah. Yes, on back on that side. Thank you. So here's what we're going to do. Three or four hands in a room. We're taking an incredibly powerful step this morning. So I'm going to ask everybody in the room just to pray with me. Uh, if you don't, we're going to pray a prayer of salvation. If you really don't want to, you don't have to. But if you pray this prayer, then you pass from death to life. Romans 10, 9, and 10, if we believe in our heart, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we'll be saved. We're repenting of our sins, saying, Jesus, come and take the Lord, the leadership of my life. So pray after me, if you would. Dear Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that I have gone my own way. I acknowledge my need for you. I repent, and I turn to you. I ask that you would bring me into the family of God. I thank you that your forgiveness is not conditioned on how well I do, but upon your love and me receiving it and responding to it. So today, I repent. I return. Reconnect me with who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just a moment before we move on. I, I don't ever like to move on from this without acknowledging. The Bible says this. If you made that decision today, you prayed that prayer from your heart, only you and God know. But if you prayed that prayer from your heart, this is the incredible thing that happened. It's, it gives an imagery in the Bible of angels rejoicing. In other words, they've been listening for this moment. And then suddenly, can we try like a big cheer here on the count of three? One, two, three. Yeah. I, 
I, I imagine that's what's happening in heaven right now. It's incredible. Now, here, here's how I'm going to ask you to respond. We're almost ready for baptism. I really feel that we've, our, some of our prayer team has talked about, this is a moment to press in right now for us as a church. And we're, and we're, 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 not every church does this. We come back and we're like leaning in right now. We're praying. We're believing God for lots. But if there are some things and some mountains and some problems that simply won't move except through fasting and prayer. So if the guy who predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection says it's good to fast and pray, I'm going to go with that, right? So if you're, if you're a part of Horizon Church right now, I'm going to ask you to look at what you can do. There's a booklet that talks about, they're available at the back, that talks about the various kinds of fasting that you can do, whether you're fasting food, fasting social media, uh, fasting a meal, fasting whatever it would be. I know someone who had to fast exercise. Not very many of us, but someone's like, I'll do that one. I'll do that one, yeah. But seriously, make a list and then take some time. Ask Jesus what you should do and make a list of asking where you're asking God to work. What are your desires? Maybe it's freedom from lustful thoughts and pornography. Maybe it's falling deeply in love with your spouse again. Maybe it's salvation for someone in your family or your neighborhood. Maybe it's reconciliation in a relationship. Maybe it's being a person of prayer, emotional freedom, a humble person. Whatever it is, be specific in your prayer. And there's a way that you can list them in here and begin to believe that God could do the impossible. That God could do the impossible. Fasting is simply saying, I want to give up my human effort and completely and deliberately turn to God. Turn to God. You can pick a booklet up. There are also, if you're on the e-bulletin list, you'll be getting them already. Every morning from 6.30 to 7.30, all the information's in here, but 6.30 to 7.30 in the fireside room, uh, the directions are in here. 6.30 to 7.30 in the morning. And then every evening from Monday to Saturday in various homes all throughout the city, including Abbotsford. Put your hand up if you want to, if you're an Abbotsford, if you're an Abbotsford person, because there's some of you or they're like, I will never put my hand up, Pastor. I know who you are. Okay, I'll leave you alone. Some Langley people, some Delta people, some Surrey people all over the city. So we're just going to go into our city and believe that God will do the impossible in our city. Okay, close your eyes one more time. Actually, forget about closing your eyes. No, you close your eyes. The reason I want to do this is because I don't want, I don't want uh, peer pressure, but I want a moment where you respond. You're saying, Pastor, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast and I'm going to pray something. This, I'm going to fast something. I'm going to pray and set aside time this week to do that. Just throw up your hand real quick. Not to impress anybody else. That's why we got our eyes closed. I'm gonna. So, Father, I thank you that as we fast and pray, Lord, that some of the things that we talked about freedom, freedom from oppression, a new light shining, hope, all the things that you want to see happen, Lord, I, Lord, as we fast, as we pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done, that mountains would move that have seemed unmovable, whether they, whether they move in a moment. Or a process begins to unleash and you show us a way forward. Whatever it would be, we just submit to your will and your desire. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.